0: Come out the wilderness, come out. You go come out the wilderness. Right, okay. How does it feel to come out? Come, come out,
1: out the wilderness. Come out, come out. Come out the wilderness. Come out. Come out the wilderness. How does it feel
0: to come out? Come out the wilderness. lean Leaning on the Lord. <laughs> Beautiful music. Looked at my hands, hands were new. Looked at my feet, they were too. Started to walk, head to walk. Started to sing, had to sing. Everybody looking. <laughs> what a mean. To the stiff breeze.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote and this is Consistently Eccentric, a podcast where I will attempt to teach a friend of mine a lesson from British history. Focusing specifically on the lesser known and less believable people and events that the history books tend to leave out. So let's get started with... This story starts at the tail end of the Victorian era and the three words that you're going to need to remember for this one are freelance... Okay, bicycle, mm-hmm. and Albert. Okay. Okay.
0: So, Royal Albert.
1: Is it? Is it Royal Albert, though?
0: I'm I'm just trying to make a guess. Mm-hmm.
1: Actually, I actually have no idea why Albert's in there. I'm going to be as surprised as you. Are you? Are you ready to start?
0: Yeah, I've got, I've got nothing from that. No. Freelance bicycle Albert. Mm.
1: Just, they're just words to bear in mind. You're not, you're not going to be able to piece the story together from that. It's just.
0: Would somebody able be able no, to do it? No,
1: these are, these are. Even just, if
0: they knew the story. Even
1: if they knew the story, these are just keywords for you to look out for for your own amusement.
0: Oh, so is when it pops up, I can shout the word.
1: Yeah, you can go. I, I remember Albert. Albert, it's all come full circle. Dorothy Lawrence. <laughs>
0: oh, we started.
1: <laughs> Dorothy was born. On October the 4th, 1896, in Polesworth, Warwickshire, to Thomas Lawrence and Mary Jane Beddle. A Beddle? Who were not married.
0: That's not on. I don't agree with that even now.
1: Right, well, it was much more frowned upon then.
0: Well, look at this frown. Yeah.
1: At some point between 1901 and 1909, Mary Jane died, leaving young Dorothy alone in the world because, shocker... Thomas Lawrence hadn't stuck around you know he hadn't he hadn't decided to make an honest woman of Mary Jane he'd just kind of oh a baby you say i just did he have
0: like a maybe a, like a different persona I imagine fighting crime and... he
1: was the kind of guy who had a pencil moustache um, and was very slick when you met him in a club yeah could talk a good game, but didn't actually have anything going on. Yeah, he he had the gift of the gab, I imagine, Thomas. Yeah, slick would be a good word to describe him.
0: They call him tummy fingers.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Mary Jane did. (laughs) Uh, So, Dorothy's all alone in the world, but it's okay, because she was taken in by the church and placed with a well-respected family in Salisbury, known as the Fitzgeralds.
0: Does she now take that name?
1: No, she's she remains dorothy lawrence throughout our story don't worry well actually she doesn't but that's getting further ahead albert yeah she becomes albert (laughs) she's the first female to male um no no she she's dorothy lawrence yeah yeah so she's taken in by the can i call her doddy she's taken in by a well-respected family known by the church the fitzgeralds yeah fitzies yeah so mr fitzgerald regularly did she
0: fit in did she fits in? All right.
1: I'm pretty sure that Fitzgerald is what the F in JFK stands for. Yeah. It's something like that. He's definitely a Fitz, but that's American history. We don't need to go into that. So, Mr. Fitzgerald, regularly sexually abused, Dorothy. Why are we doing Yay. this? There's
0: no disclaimer at the front of this. No. And I don't mean for the listeners, I feel... Like, just the, for me. For you.
1: Okay, so... This, this is, is integral to the story.
0: You just got to let me know, because I okay, need to well, know, I'm, how light, I'm you know how now. light I can be.
1: Mr Fitzgerald regularly sexually abused Dorothy, because why else would you take a young girl into your house in I can late... I think of
0: many reasons.
1: In, you know, early Edwardian England, okay. if it wasn't to, you know, replace your wife. Oh, my God. <clears throat> but Dorothy refused to be a victim. She avidly read about the struggles of the suffragettes and she believed that she would be able to rise above her, you know, shitty start in life, let's be fair, and become whatever the hell she wanted. So she, she didn't let these... Oh, I
0: loved already. She
1: didn't let these things define her. She was going to make something of herself. And she decided to follow her dream and move to London. And make marmalade. Well, she moved to London in 1911 at the age of 15 to become...
0: A bicycle repair shop woman.
1: A journalist. Oh. Yeah. She's going to make changes.
0: Is she working for herself?
1: Yes, yeah, she's freelance. <gasps> she's freelance. Ding, ding. Ding, ding. Um, amazingly, she was able to scratch a living in the capital for three years, submitting light entertainment stories to Mall and the Times newspaper. So she wrote for the Times. Well done, Daddy. Yeah, she's already a woman of quality sip break but she never received a byline sickle and she was beginning to see just how low the glass ceiling was for women in her chosen profession in edwardian england so she was only really permitted to write entertainment stories light store fluff pieces she couldn't do any of the hard-hitting journalism that was what she wanted to do right she wanted to be like you know right up there with the trevor mcdonald's of this world and she was down there with whatever three news was when it was on TV.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. That's a reference you might get being as you were a teenager when three was on TV. Uh, then, lucky, lucky Dorothy, World War I broke out.
0: She's got a story. Yeah. She, she's. No one else is covering it. <laughs>
1: she's, got she's, got, she's got a story there.
0: She's got the scoop.
1: Well, she she saw it as a, an opportunity. She thought, I'll go out to the continent I'll make a name for myself. I, I... I'm going to steal gold. 18-year-old Dorothy Lawrence will be a war correspondent. That's what I'll do. Yes. Yeah, she knows. So she contacted absolutely every newspaper on Fleet Street. and She said, I don't don't want to be paid well. You don't have to worry about my safety. I will go out there, I will dodge bullets, and I will bring you back.
0: And they said, we weren't even concerned about that. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) She has to be sent directly to the front lines in France. She wasn't interested in anything but front and centre where it's at. But unfortunately for her, the government were already aware that trench warfare was an absolute shit show. And they weren't keen for any reporters to be on the front line, let alone an eighteen year old girl. God, I love her already. So they were already putting a lot of pressure on the newspapers to maybe not send reporters out there and just rely on the official lines that were coming back from the Ministry of Defence and the Ministry of War. You know, just, yeah. just, just trust us. It's all going swimmingly. <laughs> it's fine. It's all following the plan. We know what we're doing. And there's, I mean, even one death is a surprise to us yeah. at this point. Uh, so wasn't looking good. But Dorothy... Fuck it, she's going anyway. She kept at it. And eventually, one of the editors of the Times, possibly sick of her asking, gave her money to get a ferry to France (laughs) and made the vaguest, the vaguest of suggestions that they might possibly look at some stories that she sent back. But to Dorothy, that was a big vote of confidence for her. She's ready to go. So she smuggled her bicycle... Onto the ferry and made her way straight to Paris.
0: When you say smuggled a bicycle,
1: I have no idea. Okay. These were the words I read. She smuggled a bicycle. She just brought a bicycle.
0: <laughs> Someone, the ticket a ticket officer. Is that, a is that a bicycle? Yes, it is a bicycle. Oh, fine. No. We have a section for bicycles.
1: <laughs> the French quite like bicycles. Also, I've heard. No, she she's still there with it, arm round it. Is this a bicycle? No, it's my sister. <laughs> she got it in a dress with a wig. <laughs> she was deformed in a factory accident. She's very sensitive. Please don't, don't mention it. <laughs> in Paris...
0: Unaware she- of how many bicycles there were in France.
1: <laughs> no, it's her special bicycle. Yeah. She'd had it since a child. It was about was one it? foot off the ground. It was a wheelie, you know.
0: And that's how you smuggle a bicycle.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, in Paris, she continued to write articles to keep herself fed. While she planned exactly how she was going to make it to the front line, <clears throat> why she needed to plan this is beyond me. It was thirty miles away from Paris. That's literally how close the front line was to her. But apparently, even though she was in possession of a smuggled bicycle, she needed some time to plan how she was going to get there.
0: Right. You plan that? Would you? Are you just saying that if, if <laughs> was how I'd just gone?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Step one. Get on bicycle. Step two, ride a flat 30 miles across open French countryside. Step three, be at the front lines. I don't feel it was that simple, Joe. Well, it wasn't, obviously. But, you know, in terms of planning, my first gambit would probably be that. You, sir,
0: war, which way? (laughs) He points.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he points. East. (laughs) Just continue east, eventually war. Mercy. (laughs)
0: whistling away Mm
1: -hmm. well 30 miles away I mean it's like the wars never happened in Paris you know (laughs) like yay (laughs) we can see the smoke and hear the bombardments on a daily basis but we're fine Uh, yeah so a first gambit she tried to enlist with a voluntary aid detachment a civilian group who offered support to British military but she was rejected This might have been because she had absolutely no medical or domestic training.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, But it also might have been because she was quite open to everyone that she wanted to be a war journalist. And the British military were still quite keen to avoid war journalists going to view the war that was not going as wars had gone previously. Which was basically a lot of British soldiers in red shirts and red coats turn up (laughs) against a massively outmatched force. Yeah. And shoot them into oblivion. Ah, oh, the old days. One person not rejected by the voluntary aid detachment, Agatha Christie. She served with the VAD. She? <clears throat> and it was where, because she served as an apothecary assistant, she learned all about how different poisons act on the body. Bloody hell. Yeah. Although she did serve in Torquay rather than France.
0: And was she quite open about mm. <clears throat> One she day I'll make this it. into a
1: murder mystery. <laughs> 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 yeah. No, I, I, I don't think it was as consci- um contentious. To <laughs> I'm going to write murder mysteries with a Belgian man. <laughs> okay. Yep. Cool. I Net- need
0: to learn about poison <laughs>
1: <laughs> for a book. <laughs> it does sound a bit worrying, doesn't it? It's for a book. <laughs> How does arsenic work? Is it traceable? It's for a book. <laughs> I'm writing about a murder. <laughs> God. I've not thought about it by that, but women were already known to be, if they're gonna murder, poisoners. And then you've got a woman who's turning up wanting to work with the apothecary and going, how do poisons work? Tell me all about the uses of poisons. Hmm. With a little notebook. Yeah. Could be used to poison in drinks. Could be used to poison in food. Could be used, just aerosolise it. Everyone's dead from poison. <laughs> Next, she tried the direct approach, the one I advocated. She just rode a bike towards the front lines. See what happens. She'd
0: be happy if you advocated that approach. Yeah.
1: Well, to be honest, how unlikely is it that an 18-year-old woman is going to be riding directly at the front lines? I think what, what you're going to do as a soldier, you've been told to look out for spies, to look out for agitators, to look out for possible Well, know, spy, you might
0: think that immediately.
1: Mm, yeah, I suppose. Uh, she was stopped by the French police two miles from the front and ordered to return to Paris. But it was too late to complete the trip that day. And she was forced to spend the night sleeping in a haystack in the forest. Why would someone leave a haystack in a forest? There was a war on.
0: Do you, these are the questions you need to ask.
1: Well, I'm, I'm assuming that when you're two miles away from the front lines you kind of assume that your farm's gonna be fucked quite quickly like maybe we need to relocate i mean how big are farms it's It's possible that part of the farm (laughs) is actually in the front lines now it's like those people who have cliffs on the um have the houses on the cliffs on the southern coast of britain it's like oh no (laughs) half of the garden went last night (laughs) when when should we flee we can do one more winter. One more winter, then we'll flee. Back in Paris <laughs> <laughs> Dorothy hatched a third plan. And this this one was a bit more involved. She'd need some help.
0: So <clears> before <throat> when you were asking why did she need to plan? Yeah. There was a lot of reasons she had to plan.
1: Yeah, but she she hadn't she hadn't actually tried the no plan plan first. I think First of all, just balls to the wall. Try that, and no, if that doesn't she's work, she's a little more intelligent than that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she's, she's, she sees a few risks. She goes, you know what? I'm going to plan forward for this.
1: No, to be some fair, some people
0: would just ride the bike.
1: She, she did a plan, then she did the no plan plan. Yeah, and now she's going back to planning. I would have just done the no plan plan first and then planned. Yeah, but if you would have done it, yeah, no, I would have been conscripted and probably been there anyway. <laughs> I wouldn't have had to. I'd have been on the front lines going, this is not what you said it would be at all. It's all all so wet. (laughs) And really, really sad. (laughs) Sad. This is a depressing place to be. I can't believe I'm only 30 miles away from Paris. So, being so close to the front lines in Paris, it was a popular destination for the British soldiers who were on leave. Because you went on the front lines all the time, you were rotated on and off, and when you were off, you could go and do what you wanted. Well, so. that's
0: not what I've learned from Blackadder. Uh,
1: there forward. were a few inconsistencies in Blackadder for comedy I don't effect. It. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I'm supposed to trust you.
1: No, to be fair to Blackadder, they got Field Marshal Haig pretty perfect. There was a, there was an agreement. Basically, what they figured out at the start of the war is the Allies had more people than the Germans. So even if it was a war of attrition and thousands of people died, the Germans would run out of people before before the English, so long as the casualties were about even. And they used that and said that that was somehow a strategy. It's like, oh, so you're saying that just as long as as many of them die as we do, even if it's thousands upon thousands of men, we win. Well, yeah. Fantastic let's do that I don't see why we'd need to think outside of that box that seems that seems so, a win-win so happy we're living in the time we are yeah so you can imagine the soldiers were more than happy to spend a little time talking to a nice English girl like Dorothy reminds them of Blighty oh. oh, like the girls back home I can see her ankles oh I'm sure she showed her ankles she's riding a bicycle I mean you can't wear a long skirt on a bicycle you'll get it caught up in the chain I bet
0: she's wearing jeans <clears> and they're tucked into her socks.
1: First, first stage of the plan, she persuaded the soldiers to teach her drilling technique and military slang, and you can imagine they were fun for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, march for me. March for me, Dorothy. Oh, oh pigs. Stand to attention, Dorothy, because I am.
0: You make me hate these soldiers. <laughs>
1: well, I, they're, they're basically robbed of the humanity for long periods of time in an all-male environment. I think we can forgive them a little bit. And she's using them.
0: Is this... It? Did you see this in your notes?
1: <laughs> no. So...
0: <laughs> she just made it up. This,
1: this I'm assuming. Then, after I'm she... I'm
0: assuming they're all pigs.
1: After,
0: <laughs> they're, they're lying in mud.
1: <laughs> uh, well, yeah. If you spend enough time in mud, you will become a pig. Then she took the plunge. <laughs> <laughs> and she found two lightly lads... You know, two two good sorts in a Paris cafe, and she suggested to them that it would be a ripping wheeze if they helped her to pretend to be a soldier and to get to the front lines. Again, ripping wheeze was not in any of the documentation I could find. I'm assuming that that was the dialect they used.
0: <laughs> so this is loose history.
1: I assume she went up to them, went had a bit of a conversation, and then she went, oh, "I've just had an idea. Here's fun." How about if you help me to look like a man, and I could go to the front line, and we could have a right laugh about it? It'd be a ripping wheeze. And there he went. Yeah.
0: Now nah, she's too honest for that. She explained.
1: She explained. I'm a war correspondent. I want to. I want to take your stories home. Yeah. But in order to do that with credibility, I need to see them firsthand.
0: Yeah. You can tell him whipping. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> whipping sneeze. <laughs>
1: plausible deniability they've got to have plausible deniability they can't say oh yeah we helped a war correspondent get to the front lines they've got to go well she she just thought it would be a, a lark <laughs> so we uh, we thought yeah she's nice we've always been told to respect women being as we are British in the Edwardian era and yeah let's do it let's make it fun
0: can you hear that listeners that is Joe's ninth pint of the evening
1: well, I'm still talking without slurring, so we're okay. You have a problem. <laughs> Don't invite me around to watch your records. <laughs> right. <laughs> Dorothy must have been persuasive, whatever gambit she used, whether it was ripping wheeze, whether it was brutal honesty, I think it's just pure whether honesty. it was suggestions that having a woman on the front lines might make things a bit more interesting. <clears throat> You've had
0: too much beer. <laughs>
1: Uh, Dorothy then started to do their washing when? this was the plan what? yep she'd start to do their washing
0: wait where is she?
1: she's in Paris doing their washing for the soldiers okay it's the plan alright okay it's a good plan isn't it
0: (laughs) I don't see where it's going you're
1: liking the plan so far
0: Albert Albert Lawrence with each oh I've got it haven't I
1: With each load, they added a bit more army uniform that they had stolen, and over the course of a few weeks, Dorothy had an entire uniform. In the end, the plot had had to extend to ten men, who Dorothy referred to as her khaki accomplices. She also had their help in forging military information and papers in the name of Private Dennis Smith.
0: Who's Albert?
1: We're not to Albert yet.
0: You you misspoke before and meant to say... Freelance, bicycle, Dennis.
1: (laughs) It'll come in, it's fine. So now she's got a uniform. She's got forged papers for a very forgettable name in Dennis Smith. It's all going well. Dorothy then turned her hand to fashion design and designed herself a corset to hold her breast down Mm -hmm. and used layers of fabric under her uniform to broaden her shoulders. Then she slapped some boot polish on her face so that it looked like she was grizzled and tanned like a man. I love this woman. A manly man. She's got it on. She then travelled to St. Lazare station where she managed to convince the Scottish military police to cut her hair. So rather than get her hair cut in Paris, she travelled to a, a military installation and asked military police... If they wouldn't mind awfully helping her with her ruse and cutting her hair,
0: she's just a force of nature, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, and they did. She's eighteen at this point.
1: She'll be nineteen at this point. Oh my you know, she's, God! She's matured now, as we all were in the war. So she set off again on a bike and finally arrived at Albert.
0: I wish I felt anything as strongly as she feels about
1: well getting to getting to see a war. Just get just reporting this story. Mm. So she's made it to the town of Dublin. Albert. Oh,
0: <laughs> Dennis.
1: This was the main town for the Allies, behind the lines of the Somme, one of the most dangerous places to be in the entirety of the war. At this point, Dorothy had run out of plan.
0: <laughs> she's looking She's looking in her bag. There's no plan so she's, there.
1: She, She's, got, she's I'm sure I had some more plans. She's got to the point where she's dressed as a man in a military uniform with military ID in one of the main refueling, sort of restocking bases for the Allies. That's as far as her plan got. She's flipping through her notes. Yeah, she's like, and, oh, and I didn't expect improv. to get this far. <laughs> and jazz yes, hands, here we go. So she's there. This is her best chance. When you don't have a plan, you've got to be lucky. And she was lucky. She met... There's
0: nothing lucky about this one. She met... I I, I don't believe it, (sighs) because... She's not wandering around aimlessly.
1: No. Okay. There's no luck
0: about this at all.
1: Okay, well, she was there, and whether by luck or by... She was
0: there through force of her own personality. Yes, she was there by force of
1: will. But whether by luck or by judgment, she then happened to meet a salt-of-the-earth Lancashire coal miner called Tom Dunn.
0: this is where he put the story.
1: And he was a sapper, <laughs> which is a military engineer. I learned this. A sapper means a military engineer. He was concerned for her safety because Fuck you. He, he knew that if she was discovered in the trenches by a group of sex-starved men, <laughs> things probably probably wouldn't go well for a 19 year old. So he took Dorothy with her consent. To an abandoned cottage he knew of, not far from his own trench. And there, he proceeded.
0: Don't, don't, don't break my heart.
1: To get her settled in nicely, he's a good guy. She would return there each night. Why would you do that? She would return there each night to sleep alone and unmolested on a damp mattress, eating only the rations that Tom could scrounge for her because she forgot to bring food.
0: Right, could you stop making Tom the hero of the story, please?
1: (laughs) No, he's not. He's just a helpful helpful guy.
0: Yeah, he's a side note.
1: So, Dorothy began assisting Dom with his work of digging tunnels and laying mines in no man's land. Sometimes this took her within a few hundred yards of the German trenches. So, when we say that she wanted to be involved in the war, she was as involved as you could get without going over the top. So... How would you?
0: How do you not get discovered by, you know, officers and?
1: Well, she was she was meeting with Don at the start of his shift, and they were just going straight to work. The officers assume people are going to do work detail, and one extra guy. I mean, the amount of people moving in and out—it's the military, but it's the largest it's military her, operation her, that's ever happened. It's
0: her coming in every day
1: from yeah. her well obviously, obviously she doesn't walk in and go well I'm back from the cottage oh, <laughs> so much nicer sleeping there than in the trench Whew, off to work they make it look like she was there the entire time All right so that's what she's doing now she's there she's made it well done Dorothy yeah she's getting to experience firsthand what the trenches were like
0: she forgot her pencil
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh I wish <laughs> after 10 days Dorothy was not in good shape she developed chills, rheumatism.
0: What is rheumatism? Rheuma- like an arthrit- yeah, the start
1: of rheumatoid arthritis. Yes. So in ten days. Uh, and she was experiencing so
0: what sort of rheumatism feel like? Uh, like aches in your bones and
1: an inability to move your joints.
0: And what are chills?
1: <laughs> feeling slightly cold? No, shivering, you know. It's, it's it's like it's like the start of a flu, essentially. Okay. Uh, and she was experiencing fainting fits, which when you're digging trenches and laying mines in no man's land isn't great you don't want to be laying a mine and then faint
0: no no i wouldn't want that at all for mm. myself
1: <laughs> if the option ever occurs i'm gonna say no no to that idea oh no i have narcolepsy and i'm expected to do brain surgery Damn! they're gonna hold me responsible for this uh yeah so she knew that if she fell ill her secret will be discovered. And she didn't want the soldiers who'd supported her and helped to get to the front lines and get that story to get into trouble. So she did the honourable thing. She confessed her deception to the commanding sergeant and she was immediately placed under military arrest. She was taken back to the HQ where she was interrogated as a spy.
0: You would think that. I mean, it's all spy-like activity.
1: She tried to explain.
0: And they went, no, you're a spy.
1: Really? You think that the British, the upper crust who formed the British officer class would do that They went, nay. No. The officers didn't believe a story, yes, and she was declared a prisoner of war and transported to Calais to be interrogated by 26 senior officers of the British Army. At once? Yes. 26 on one interrogation. Jesus. Oh, this... she told her story again.
0: Please tell me this have a happy ending.
1: They concluded she was likely a prostitute and they sent her to a French convent until they could decide what to do with her. So they they, they okay. placed her in a nunnery before, while they decided what the hell to do with someone in their early 20s now who says that they wanted to go to the front line of World War I to write about it. she was ordered by the military police to never write about what had happened or she would face being jailed and they sent her back to London because they didn't really know what to do with her so told she, her never talk about it
0: I, I have a feeling we don't
1: want to acknowledge that this kind of snafu happened it. on the ferry back from France to England she just so happened to bump into Emmeline Pankhurst the leader of the women's suffragette movement, who asked her to speak at a suffragette meeting because, of course, Dorothy Lawrence immediately told her the entire story of why she was being deported from France. (laughs) Emboldened by this meeting with a superstar to her, she'd started out reading about the suffragettes. This was like meeting... It's like if you'd done something and loads of people had said you were stupid and then you met your idol who went, that's cool. Yeah. You know, Properly emboldened. I see you. Yeah. She immediately began to write articles for the Worldwide Magazine, but was ordered to destroy whatever she had written by the War Office, who invoked the 1914 Defence of the Realm Act. So the stories she did write didn't get published and were immediately destroyed.
0: But she wasn't jailed?
1: No. She was finally, finally able to release a book about her experiences in 1919 after the war ended. But by this time the public were more than aware of the horrors because returning soldiers had told them and no one wanted to relive the war. Everyone was tired of it. The book was pulped within a year and Dorothy's journalism career was essentially over from that point. Like
0: twenty five, done. She done. Can you can you get this book anywhere? <clears throat> uh
1: you can now. You can get it on archive.org. Oh,
0: go read it. Mm. I'm, gonna by... I'm gonna learn how to read and then mm. I'm gonna read that.
1: Good. It will make it easier than me explaining every incident in British history to you via a podcast. Please read it to me. (laughs) Do the voices.
0: He said, (laughs) whiz-bang! I added that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to make it more zhuzhy. Uh, By 1925, she was destitute and her increasingly erratic behaviour brought her to the attention of the authorities. Uh, She was brought before a doctor and she disclosed that she'd been raped as a child by her foster family Fitzgerald unfortunately Fitzgerald was considered a pillar of the community and the doctor declared her insane and had her committed
0: I'm actually getting upset Mm.
1: she was sent to Colney Hatch Lunatic Asylum in North London Uh, this asylum was famous, this is a side note might amuse you it had the longest corridor in Britain. It didn't. It did. It was a very long corridor. You could you could walk it for 10 minutes they and you'd still be walking the corridor. It was oh, a God. long corridor. It was basically a building that was built on one floor in a linear fashion. Did they get the award? They did. They got an award for having the longest the, corridor. The Halsey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. It also fair enough had its own brewery and aviary where patients could help breed canaries so she had that
0: it's slavery isn't it she had
1: she had a long corridor to walk up and down aimlessly she had beer
0: she didn't have beer and she had she made beer for people no
1: no they gave people in asylums beer don't worry Uh, it helped to calm them down because it's a depressant and she could breed canaries
0: no, this is good. Who are a lovely
1: metaphor for her own stifled like freedom. Is... Dorothy stayed in the asylum for 39 years. She saw the name change to and Hospital and saw the care she received fall under the auspices of the newly created NHS. It wasn't, however, her last experience of the war because during the Second World War, the hospital was bombed and 36 patients lost their lives. Dorothy herself died at the hospital in 1964 and was buried in a pauper's grave in New Southgate Cemetery with no family or friends present. But in 2003, a note of Dorothy's was found by her grandson, by, sorry, by the grandson of one of the soldiers who had helped her, Richard Sampson Bennett. This sparked a renewed interest in the only female to have served on the front lines in World War I. Her story is now part of an exhibition at the Imperial War Museum and her book is available to all. It was identified from medical records that her accusations of rape had been compelling enough to have been included in her medical records.
0: Oh my
1: God. And that is the story of the only woman who fought in World War I. She's amazing. Sapper Dorothy Lawrence. There's
0: a lot more to this story, isn't there?
1: That is the, the meat and bones of the story. She was someone who had a drive to do something before the time that that was accepted. And it eventually led to her being committed.
0: As the, I got really upset in the middle of that. I was mm. getting a bit teary.
1: Well, how she, she'd done all of that to try and report a story and she never got to report the story and got shot on from a great height. Yep, that's women in Britain <laughs> for the longest time. Oh, my God there you go
0: I wish you had I mean
1: I'm glad I'm
0: hearing about it
1: (laughs) we had some laughs but ultimately it's a pretty sad story that one it's awful yeah well unfortunately quite a lot of the history we're going to talk about and I warn you now kind of has that bittersweet ending of why? oh god (laughs)
0: I suppose that everybody has to die.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, and they did all these great things. They were executed at Newgate Cemetery five years later for being a bit jolly and fancy free. And their head was taken and put on a spag. Now, so that is Dorothy Lawrence. Everybody
0: who's, who's a bit different just gets crushed.
1: Yeah, pretty much. And that's that's what you need to take. So, as bittersweet as it is... That was razor glass. Absolutely, I've got an empty one. I, um... So, to Dorothy Lawrence,
0: I, I can't wait to learn more about her. <laughs> oh God,
1: a woman! What a woman! So far ahead of her time.
0: What a person!
1: And actually, to everyone who has the balls to be a war correspondent f- from the end of this, yeah, because the idea of I'm going to war, what are you taking? A notebook. And pencil.
0: I've always been well, a, not always a bulletproof been,
1: but... press, a bulletproof press vest. Assuming that people will either know or care what that word means.
0: I wonder what drives you to do that. I don't know. You know, like um, war photographers. And...
1: Winston Churchill was a war correspondent he was also during a the racist. war. Oh yeah,
0: <laughs> that's right. We'll
1: probably cut that bit. Although he was a big racist. Why would we cut it? Because I don't want to get political, and I'm not covering Winston Churchill because Winston Churchill gets covered a lot, and I don't need to add to that noise.
0: What about the other side of Winston Churchill?
1: Well, the racism. Yeah. Mm. Let's, yeah. Let's
0: cover how he feel, felt about the Indians.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Let
0: them all die in a famine.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm not. A, I'm not a Churchill apologist, but he was. He was the guy you needed during World War Two. Look at you know. It's like, let's all get that guy in. He'll deal with it. I just don't think it was a coincidence that as soon as the war ended, despite the fact that he'd won a war, people went, no. No. Nah. Sorry. Sorry, Winnie. Here's a box of thank you cigars. Off to Blenin. Off you go. Off you pop. So we'll cut all that. Mm, probably.